Blog Talk Radio. You could just party like it's a three-year anniversary show. Holy shit. Let me tell you something, folks. In the old studio, we would have never been able to go ahead and get this show out there. With the party that's going on on the other side of these studio walls right now, it is a lunatic asylum. I pretty much was losing my mind on Facebook. You can see I was losing my mind uh, minutes before the show. So much excitement in the air. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Fantasy Justice Show, coming to you live from Leesburg, Florida. Absolutely yeah, beautiful night. It is absolutely gorgeous. But you know what? On this kind of night, it could have been raining. It really, really would not have mattered. Thank you so much. Three-year anniversary show here on Blog Talk Radio from FantasyJesterSports.com. Three-year anniversary show. That's right. You know Justice go to have the guest. What's going on tonight? Well, former MLB pitcher turned author Bob Tewksbury will join with one-on-one. A one-on-one interview. Actually, it was pre-recorded. I cannot tell a lie. I am George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. It was a one-on-one the other day, and it was phenomenal. Phenomenal. What a great time. When you get to meet somebody who loves the sport as much as you do, and you get to talk to them for a little bit, it ends up being a, a great time. Very fun person to talk to. He currently works for the San Francisco Giants as their mental skills coach, and we talk about that as well, as well as his book, you know, 90% Mental. We're going to go over that as well. Good to have Bob in, though. That was fun. That was fun. Going to have the usual suspects. You know we're going to have JT. You know we're going to have Tate. We've got a bunch, bunch of special announcements coming up, folks. Good stuff. We're just going to, you know, I, I hope you think that year three means that, oh, okay, we're just relaxing. No, actually, uh, it is widely known throughout the Jester camp here that, to me, year three means time to kick it into another gear. So, One of our guests tonight is going to be talking about his own special spot once a month and going to be bringing some special guests. You're going to want to pay attention to that, especially you NFL fans. I tell you, let's just get them in. You know, I want to rant. I want to complain. Obviously, there's not a damn thing. When you're getting... 
I'm sorry. You know, I'm still blown away. And I, I'm very, 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 I can't express the gratitude to all the listeners out there that allow me to wrap my life in sports the way I do because of all of you. I mean, you make it possible and the growing number of downloads. Uh, if I could literally hug and kiss each and every one of you, I would. I mean, that is just, thanks so much for the support. You know, it, 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 it's been a little crazy. You try and believe that no matter what you're going to do, it's going to come out right. And, you know, you want to give the best guests and the best info with the best stats. I have two of the most dynamic guys working with me. My co-host is just phenomenal. If you're, if you're new to the show and you don't know JT, Jason Townsend, okay, I have often explained to everybody, best way to explain him is he's the encyclopedia of everything sports. He's clearly one of the most knowledgeable men I've ever met in the sporting world, and it's my pleasure to call him co-host all this time. Also, you know, don't sleep on Tate. You know, I, I understand Tate's on every once in a while, but don't sleep on Tate. Tate's on here for a reason. About as much as one of our other guests, and we're going to be adding his segment on, because they know what they're talking about. See, I owe it to all of you, the fans, each and every show, to go ahead and bring you the very best of what I've gotten. Tate Dello qualifies as one of the very best I have to bring you any, if you should listen to anybody besides myself or JT regarding fantasy advice, it would have to be Tate Dello, uh, without a question. He knows the sports, and he's passionate about it, so... Just, I think that's what it is. You know, you've got Kid Kelly over at FantasyJesterSports.com anchoring the ship as we continue to try and find the proper writers for what we want to do. And, and that's really where it comes down to. You know, three years later, there's only one reason why this continues and why it's growing. It is the support staff around me. It, it is the people like Jason Townsend. It's the people like Tate Dell, Kid Kelly, and I could go on that really work at making sure that this blue-bearded idiot sounds somewhat decent and intelligent at times. That's not an easy task. But they do it. They do it week in, week out, especially the man that I'm about to bring in, coming to you tonight from Texas, folks, as he usually does, the one, the only, Fez437 on Twitter. JT, how you doing, man? Jester, we're uh, three years in, going strong. We've got the NFL draft coming. We've got the NHL draft not too far after that. And uh, baseball's in full swing. So how can I not be fantastic tonight? It is. Yeah, it, it's just been that kind of fun time. I mean, it's the fun time in sports. We've got NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. Yes. Baseball's kicking off. We're getting ready for the draft. And, folks, you know, some of the things that we still have yet to talk about in this special two-hour edition of the three-year anniversary show is also our new sponsor. We are adding a new sponsor, JT. Oh, Looks like we're going to get stylish. To about this. You know, well, we, we should be getting stylish. stylish. It's us. Yeah, yeah, we stylish. should be looking good. Exactly, exactly. You know, I have to say, I have to say this real quick here. So three years in, you think back at some of the guests that we've had on this show, and mm. I've loved all of them. But, you know, there's one in particular that still I get chills every time I think about Luke Aikens and that jump from 25,000 feet without a parachute, listening to him talk about that. 
still brings chills to the bones. You know, that's a fantastic point because so many people listen to us for our fantasy advice. You might lose sight of some of the other stories that we bring you, whether it's on FantasyJusticeSports.com or here on the show, the human interest stories. JT, fantastic point because some people might not know from the fantasy world who Luke Akins is. And when you get the opportunity, folks, after the show, YouTube heaven sent. And the reason why he was on the show, yeah, phenomenal. The reason why he was on the show and I wrote an article about him was because he stretches the human mind. He he helps bring people to another level. If anybody would have said to the man on the street, hey, listen, this guy's going to jump out of a plane at 25,000 feet without a parachute and be on any show afterwards <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... It, it, it's a, it, it's just those kind of things. I, I think that is, and if I may take a minute to just be a little bit humble about what we're doing here, folks, for those of you who are new, it is my longstanding belief, JT's and everybody that works here's belief that if you bring positive news, you bring good stats good guests, a little bit of fun and a little bit of humor. You wrap that all up in a bow that you can use that platform to help children. If you do that and you do it well, well, then I guess you should be having the success that we are having. And I I really am. I'm, I'm grateful for it. But we do work real hard here. And in continuing that working hard, you know, you mentioned about Luke Aikens falling from the sky and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people uh, after that had talked about that, and I had said by accident in that that I would never, ever. I had asked Luke Akins about one of our other guests, folks. Again, we're talking about guests that we've had that stretch the mind, stretch what the person, right. what you think is possible. Um, I had mentioned at the time that Mrs. Jester goes out with one of our guests, Ryan Walton, and goes diving with sharks, no cage. And, you know, no I long. Yeah, yeah, no cage. That's right. You, you have to put that accent on the no cage part. And, right. you know, I thought Ryan was more out of his mind than I am, if that's possible. And quite it's truthfully, not. yeah. Um, oh, thanks. Wow. You're I just caught that. I was starting this roll. I want to clear that out, Yeah. Whoops. Okay. Well, Mrs. Jester will probably agree to that too. So I, I can't say much, yeah. I guess. But Mrs. Jester, to me, was out of her pee-picking gourd uh, by going out with Ryan and doing this. Oh, what happened was, is when Luke was on the show, I asked Luke Aiken straight out. You now jumped out of a plane, twenty-five thousand feet, no parachute. Would you ever dive with sharks, no cage, and he said, that's nuts. And I pretty much agreed. Yeah, and I had nuts. said, yeah. And I remember saying at that time, there's no way I'd ever do it. Big mistake when one of your guests comes on and says, hey, I challenge you to do it. <laughs> that guest, Ryan Walton, will be joining us too tonight, folks. Ah. Before we get to Ryan and all things, we've got hockey, we've got basketball. 
We've got Tate. We've got we've got so much. So let's get it rolling. First of all, let's just get into real quick these hockey playoffs. Uh, huh. Well, hey, listen. Let's start out. Let me get. Let, let, let's clear it right out first, okay? I am very yes, proud yeah. of my Devils. They got they got what they a lot of people were expecting. Listen, I felt that they have the team. Do they have the potential? Yes. What we saw was a clear case of one team who had not been in the playoffs in six years, didn't have much playoff experience under its belt, versus an extremely talented team that has a lot of playoff experience. So uh, my, my hat's off to the Devils. I, never, I didn't think that they were a playoff team going into the season. So kudos to them. They go down four games to one today uh, to Tampa in Tampa. Washington right now is three to two with Columbus, Pittsburgh, and Philly. Pittsburgh, you're Pittsburgh, JT. Three to two on top of Philly. Tomorrow's the game in Philly. How are you feeling about closing it out, Game Six? We need to put our, you know, put your foot on their throat, end it. I think uh, Pittsburgh tends to get a little too cute sometimes in the playoffs. Just finish them off, get it over with. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they should. You would think that the playoff team would understand that not to go ahead and take that chance on a game right. seven. So it'll be an interesting game tomorrow. San Jose, four to nothing, wipes out Anaheim. Winnipeg, I've been saying, watch those boys, four to one over Minnesota. Nashville, Nashville over Cal. Uh, Colorado right now, three to two, but Colorado's home. Uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup because Colorado's playing Nashville a lot tougher than I expected. And that will be very, very dangerous for Nashville should they lose. I understand that they'll go back, but boy, I'm going to tell you right now, they'll be going back, but There'll be a lot of questions on that team. They they really need to that that's another one of those like JT just mentioned. Need to put your foot on their throat, get it over with. The one series. I guess if I had a rant today, the Vegas LA series would lead me oh. to that. Yes. Yes. I mean, am I wrong? I, I, am I wrong when I say that that is a disgusting display of what they've done to hockey? Oh well, it, the, you know, Vegas is just playing the hand they were dealt. But let's let's look at that hand real quick. They were given a playoff roster to start. Uh, you know, you go back and look at expansion teams in the past in any sport. No sport has a team been given the roster that Gary Bettman and all of his uh, genius gave the Vegas expansion team. So that one, that one uh, sits in the craw a little bit, but. Mm. Well, listen, I, I, I don't understand. There, you've never done anything like that. I, I mean, it was just clear cut intent to set this team up. And, and now you're going with another team and you're going to do the same thing. So you didn't learn by it. And, you know, I mean, we talked about it during the week, you and I, JT. We talked about it during the week about the idea of, you know, why don't we just pack up a team and go move it? We'll, we'll just go ahead they and call disband it the team. team. And, and, and that's it. That's just, just the most ridiculous thing, folks. 
Anyway, listen, let's get Tate in here. Um, I, then we'll try and get the basketball maybe a little later. We'll change things up. I want to get Tate in here. Then I want to get Mako in here. Uh, let's get let's get Tate in here real quick. And then uh, I want to go basketball for a second. But first, I want to ask Tate something on, on hockey. So let's get him in here. Tate, how are you doing tonight, sir? Good. How are you guys tonight? <laughs> Exciting night. Exciting night. Great to have you on. You know, I got to ask you something. We were just talking about this thing with hockey and everything. How do you feel about JT's Penguins? The Penguins are really tough. Uh, Obviously, we've already talked about in the past, they're two-time defending Stanley Cup champs. So there's something there. But, uh, you know, they're they're coming on strong. They're they're having a little issue with the one game there with – their opponent, but you know, they're, they're going to turn around. They're going to win it. They're going to move on to the next round and we'll see uh, who they, who they end up having to play and uh, fight their way through. But I think uh, the lightning who I know you don't really want to talk about right now because of who they just beat in their series this Mm -hmm. afternoon. But uh, you know, I've, I've touted them since we started talking about it, but the lightning can be tough for anybody to beat the way they're playing right now. It's tough yes, sir, for me. real quick. Yes, sir. Real quick, Jester. One word for both of you. We talked to our new, uh, our, our future guest here coming on shortly. Ryan Walton's all about sharks. That's the word yeah. you need to think about in hockey. It's all about the sharks. It's all about the sharks. I, you know, listen. Uh, it might be about the Sharks. It might be about Ryan Wall. You know what? And, and that's the problem. You see, you start stirring stuff up. You start talking anything. And let me tell you something, folks. For those of you who don't know about what's going on with Ryan and Sharks and all this, you're going you're gonna to hear from somebody. He just called in. This man hears Sharks, and he, he like, gravitates. Let me tell you something. I, 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 he's, a, he's a great conservationist. And my greatest concern, because I find Ryan Walton anywhere there is water. My greatest concern, JT and Tate, is the next time I open up a can of tuna, there's Ryan making sure it was dolphin safe. As he should. Let's get him in here. Let's stop messing around. Folks, it is my pleasure to bring in our next guest. He really does dive with sharks, no cage. And he also happens to be our insider for everything, Miami Dolphins, the one, the only, Ryan Walton. Ryan, how are you doing today, man? Hey, guys. Uh, how are you? What's going on, Ryan? You hey. know how it goes. Congra- Congratulations. Three years is uh, pretty good. Anything you want to you wanna do bad enough, you stick with it, and look where you're at. Ah, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, you do. Well, hey, listen, you too. You do the same thing. You work at it. You work at it. And, uh, you know, real quick, before we get into football, just give people an overview, what you're doing, how you're educating people, what you do for, for uh, the shark community. Uh, sure, man. Uh, so, for those who don't, you know, follow me yet, um, on the day-to-day, I take people out to some sharks, and basically uh, one of the uh, quotes that I like to use is that people fear what they don't understand. So, my job is to make people understand the animal and teach people how to safely coexist with them. And by doing so, I create advocates um, and kind of have my own little army of people that are out there making sure that you aren't eating shark product, buying shark product, 
um, all these things that obviously I teach over the course of time. Um, but, you know, that's an outline of what I do on the day-to-day. But otherwise, um, when I'm at home, I'm making phone calls to restaurants at Bell Shark, trying to educate them, uh, working petitions if I have to, going on the news, talking about it, um, and, you know, trying to take out NFL players um, whenever I can <laughs> and educate them and, and their families. And that's something I've been fortunate uh, to be able to do is um, create a lot of relationships with with current and former players um, willing to listen to me and then become activists um, on mine and the Sharks' behalf, which I'm beyond grateful for. Ryan, you know, you're talking about taking – real quick, you're talking about taking NFL players out. It sounds like you need to get Vaughn Miller out there on one of your cruises from some of the <laughs> stuff I've been seeing on that guy. Yeah, name. I, uh, name. I was just – uh, two, three days after Von Miller was on the news for killing that hammerhead, uh, I had Channing Crowder, former Dolphin, out uh, with a bunch of his family, and that was amazing. Um, you know, that was just three days after. And what's crazy is it didn't get any media coverage because it wasn't negative. And I was listening right. before I got brought in, and I heard Joe talk about positive things and how they grow. And um, what's, what's sad is that in our industry, it's always been a negative life for sharks. Um, so right. in this case, yeah, I, I was on the news three days ago talking about Mr. Miller, and Good uh, for hopefully you. he finds me. <laughs> I do too. It man. must be, it must be difficult for you. And as we're going to go ahead, we're going to get to you, your relationship with the Miami Dolphins in particular, but it must be difficult for you because you do have so many players that are now coming to you. Uh, to go out on these dives and snorkels to learn about the sharks, it must be difficult for you to have that feelings with uh, Von Miller. Is there anything that you'd like to say to Mr. Miller? Maybe we can help get him out with you. We can we can pass along a message. You know what's funny is you say that. Of course, I'd love to have him out and share as much knowledge as I can. But we as shark people don't blame him. It's the operator. It's the people. And, and that is under investigation by FWC, yes. honestly. Von Miller is under investigation by Florida's Fish and Wildlife Commission. So I don't want to host him until that investigation's over. Um, <laughs> I'll let him go ahead and clear his name, and then I'd love to host him and educate him. But it's the operator. It's the operator that's willing to take money to take a celebrity out who doesn't know any better, most likely, and go ahead and slaughter that animal for a social media picture. So... Um, yeah, I'd love to have him, and, and then hopefully he could reach out and say, hey, y'all, I messed up. Um, I didn't know any better, but now I do. And that's that's what part of my job is. And that is likely, from everything I hear, he, he's supposed to be a very good guy, nice guy. Uh, it is right. likely that what you just said is likely the case is that he was not properly educated as to what's going on up there. But you know what? Let's go ahead. Let's get back to football in this, okay? Ryan has a, a distinct relationship, folks, with JT as both hardcore Dolphin fans. Ryan, Ryan's not just a season ticket holder. He's friends with the guys on the team, has a lot of locker room knowledge. He also goes to the draft parties. I've been to, to the uh, Miami Dolphin da- draft parties, uh, and this year – we're going to be splitting up our coverage of the NFL draft uh, between Ryan down in Miami. I have not picked yet whether I'm going to go to Miami or Jacksonville, uh, one of the two. 
And then JT and Tate are going to be over in Dallas covering the NFL draft, sitting real close to prime time. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous on that one. You might ask, and just real quick, I've got to throw this out here. People are asking me, why isn't Tampa in the running? Listen, folks, I started out with all three teams as possible landing spots for me for this year's draft. It kind of helps if you have players there for me to interact with. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the only one of the three teams that do not have players there for you to access, to talk to, to get interviews or autographs and all that stuff. They feel that they don't have to provide the product that they're going to try and sell you season tickets for as they're trying to sell you those season tickets. I don't get that. I don't get how that's good business, but okay. So it'll be either Jacksonville or Miami. Now, in that Miami draft, guys, JT, you start us off. Let's see what you want. Then we'll go to Ryan and see what he's thinking for the uh, – if he can agrees with you, the expert, my expert, with his expertise of that locker room. Well, I mean, you look at Miami, you know, a lot of people want to say quarterback. I'm sorry. As a Dolphins fan, if you didn't see what Ryan Tannehill bring to the Dolphins without him last year, you're missing the boat. I still want to see what Ryan can do. He's been with Gates for a couple years now, a chance to be in the same system. So I'm not looking at quarterback. Uh, one of the guys that I'm going to talk about this guy a little more in depth later on, but the guy that I really like is Trumaine Edmonds, a 6'5", 235-pound linebacker out of Virginia Tech, great in pass coverage, which was one of our problems last year. He can blitz. He handles his run. The guy is an all-around athlete, uh, son of former Miami Dolphin Titan Farrell Edmonds, an athletic specimen, and over 7 0.17 grade, which is, if you look at the NFL scouts, that's future, you know, chance to be a Pro Bowl player. I really like this kid. That's kind of something I'm looking at for us to take at 11. Oh, Ryan. Oh, there we go. There? Hey, I am. All right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, I shouldn't talk because he took the words right out of my mouth. Um, there's a few, <laughs> a few spots on the on that team that, that need help. Um, I know that Ryan has the support of the locker room. Um, a friend of mine on the team made a comment to me last time we were together um, that Ryan was ready to do special things last year and it was heartbreaking for the locker room and it was yes. more devastating than anybody really um admitted um bringing smoke and jay in um it, it just there's no personality there there's no leadership um and then you got guys like juice who 10 catches later and 100 yards later are still bitching that they didn't get that deep ball in the second quarter mm-hmm. um like you just said about guys on Tannehill, I think we're missing the boat on the, the whole leadership aspect of the team, and we lost that with, with Ryan being on the sideline. So I do hope Edmonds is there at 11. Um, you've actually you, – you got me there. That's exactly who I'm hoping for. Um, there's uh, a couple options at, at linebacker. Um, Leighton, um, Vander Esk, I'm hoping I said his name right. If we were to trade back and get an extra second um, – I do love the guy's last name, Mark Walton. Um, he <laughs> should course. be there in a second. 
So if we can trade back in the first and get some another linebacker in the first that's still top tier for the first round, um, you wouldn't see me complain about that either because then we need a tight end in the second. And Dallas Gilbert could be there in the early in the second. So if you get Mark Walton late in the second, I think we've started the draft on fire. So um, there's a, you know a few gaps there that I'm optimistic for. Frank Gore teaching another you guy how to come up would be awesome for Dolphins fans to watch. Lunch pail. Uh, you know, folks, you're getting a, a little feel for a little something here as far as our Miami Dolphins coverage and what it's going to be like this coming season. You know, real quick, before I make this announcement, I just want to ask you, because I I like asking this question wherever I go amongst football fans, and this one's just for Ryan real quick. Where do you think Barkley ends up? (laughs) Um, My my plan was just to harass you with this whole Giants drop Marshall, (laughs) sign Dez, get Barkley thing. Hang Um, yourself. Thank yourself. But, uh, but if, if I'm really going to piss you off, I'm going to say that you guys make the dumbass move and take Josh Rosen and Barkley falls oh. forward. And if the Browns, and if the Browns don't take him, then – You know I, I have the mute button, right? I mean, you are aware. I'm in control of a mute button. That's me. You, that asked, you asked me where Barkley's going, so I'm just trying to lead to you where Barkley's going and why. Just give me a uh, team. So, <laughs> so uh, I think it's either going to be the Browns at four or it's going to be the Bucks at four. Uh, we actually talked about that a couple of days yeah. ago is the potential of the Bucks moving up. And after I've been looking at the top ten, um, I'm trying to figure out what the motivation would be for the Browns to go for another pick. Um, but if the Browns don't take Barkley at four, then something's up their sleeve, and I think it would be the Bucks to trade for him there. Interesting. I want bar uh, fans. Uh, those of you who are new to the show, by the way, uh, the, the big thing is that yes, I would like Barkley without a question. I happen to think we already have our quarterback of the future already on the giant team, but <sighs> dare I say that too. Anyway, folks, here's what I do want to let you know. As you can hear, Ryan knows his stuff about football sharks and the dolphins. So what we're going to do is we're going to start a little segment once a month. It'll start next week. Fins on Fins. Ryan will be joining us, and he'll be giving you that inside information that we need right from the Dolphins locker room. He'll be bringing special guests, uh, current and past Dolphins, as he can. Could be fun times. Ryan, next week, man, we're going to kick it off with you. Is that what's up? Let's do Let's do it. I think next week's perfect. Um, I'm going to be there at the draft party, like you said. I'm going to chat with a couple of the guys, get the feel for how this first week went. Everybody got back together last week. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to see see how the vibe is. I saw some photos, and everybody was all smiled. So Ryan's back in the building. Raekwon McMillan is 100% healthy back in the building, which I think is a huge step forward. Uh, and I already have somebody coming on with me next week, but uh, I'm going to leave that one for y'all to guess about. <laughs> can you go off? Can you at least say offense or defense? Um, defense. Okay. Oh, there goes my guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it also it narrows the pool by about fifty percent. 
so I'm trying not to say much. He's a friend that I made a few years ago. Um, we've actually got plans to do some other things together off the field, so I'm very excited. Uh, him and I chat quite a bit. Nice. Um, he's a I got to go dig so, this uh, is where yeah, so this is where the investigative reporter comes out in me. Oh, I'll find <laughs> out first, folks. I'll find out before so, next next week, folks. You won't have to wait. I will post it everywhere too. <laughs> so, right, thanks for joining us, man. All right, man. Thank you, guys. Congratulations, care, and uh, I'll talk to you Saturday. Oh, man, really looking forward to it. Actually, we'll be talking to Ryan hopefully before then, folks, as he takes care of the NFL draft from Miami. Looking forward to that. Guys, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a break for one second, talk about our newest sponsor, and then we're going to get to the Tootsbury interview, our new sponsor. You know, it's funny that we're coming out of a Miami-based conversation I'm very glad, very happy to welcome our new sponsor, MiamiWholesaleSunglasses.com. They are a wholesaler of sunglasses, everything a jester loves. You got to understand, and if you're new, again, following the Fantasy Jester, FantasyJesterSports.com, Fantasy Jester Show on iTunes and all that good stuff. All right, I'll run through that later. You know, I love my shades. I live in Florida. I spend half my life with sunglasses on. I like them. I like them stylish, and I like them cheap. As ZZ Top says, give me them cheap sunglasses. Now, listen, folks, MiamiWholesaleSunglasses.com is your place to go. For those of you out there, do you have a beach store? Do you have any kind of store that you want to go ahead and hook up maybe some great sunglasses with? Maybe you're a mom at home or a dad at home or looking to make some extra cash on the side, having garage sales every once in a while. Do you do that? Or maybe you work a flea market. Miami Wholesale Sunglasses, best place to go. MiamiWholesaleGlasses.com. Women, they have the Giselle. They have Retro. They have Aviator, Cat's Eyes, Polarized. For the men, they've got X-Loop, which is one of my favorites, Biohazard, and I've got a pair coming that I can't wait to have on. They're called the Tundra. These things are badass looking. I love these things. I I can't wait to see. Uh, I'm getting, I don't know what they sent. (laughs) Hundreds of pairs. It's going to be great. I'm going to be swimming in sunglasses. Uh, They have Road Warrior. They have motorcycle sunglasses, all that good stuff. You know, they also have specialties like for, you know, wood frames and, and camo frames, even sunglasses for kids. Folks, MiamiWholesaleGlasses.com, 1-888-672-4322, our newest sponsor, and I am proud to call them that. I look forward to starting to show them every photo you can count on. I'll be wearing one of their glasses and um, next week. New commercial comes out. Enjoy, folks. Now, thanks to them, thanks to our sponsor, I was able to sit down one-on-one, former MLB pitcher turned author, Bob Tewksbury. Now, Bob currently works for the San Francisco Giants, okay? And he is their mental skills coach. Now, I asked him about that. I asked him about a bunch of things. He was drafted by the Yankees, and it turns out that 
It really was one of the more pleasurable, fun times of being able to talk with somebody. Again, the book is 90% mental. An all-star player turned mental skills coach reveals the hidden gem of baseball. Folks, this is my interview. What a great time. Enjoy. Hi, this is Bob Tewksbury, former Major League pitcher and author of 90% Mental, and you... (laughs) That's right. What did Bob do for us? Before I play that interview, that is our outro. We've never had an outro. That's how good a guy he is. He gave us time, and that's our little tease, because the rest of it, I promise you, is the funniest damn outro any podcast has. Without any further ado, me and Bob. Hi, this is Jim Rosenhouse with the Cleveland Indians, and you are listening to the Fantasy Jester. That's right, that's right. It is the Fantasy Jester just by himself. This is the best time. A little one-on-one time sitting here. Being able to interview somebody without any interference from that Yankee hating co-host of mine, it's my privilege. It's my honor uh, at this time to bring in a uh, former Yankee, <laughs> currently with the Giants, and former MLB All-Star pitcher, Bob Tootsbury. Bob, how are you tonight, sir? Jester, I am doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This is, uh, this is, again, this is a fun time. I love being able to talk. We're going to go ahead now. Bob has put out a book, and we'll get to that. He's the author of 90% Mental, an all-star player turned mental skills coach, reveals the hidden gem of baseball. And I, I, as I've gone ahead and taken a look and reviewed your career, I, I've noticed that kind of theme throughout. This is a guy, folks, let me tell you, from St. Leo, let me ask you something. I, I think I want to start at college and, and being drafted, Bob. Uh, you come out of St. Leo University, and you're drafted in 81 by the Yankees. Tell me what it takes, uh, the mental toughness, or what, what it's like when all of a sudden you're going to put the pinstripes on. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, a, it was a work in progress. You know, as you know, uh, uh, not many players go right from college to the big leagues. So there was a process of a lot of Yankee pinstripes in places like Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Oneonta, New York, Nashville, uh, Tennessee, Columbus, Ohio, all en route to get to New York to put the pinstripes on. But it's really uh, that big league uniform pinstripes somehow feel a lot better than the minor league ones did. And, uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's a it's a definitely a, a process, you know, of of uh, tenacity, toughness, discipline, patience, um, struggles. I mean, it's not minor league life is not easy, and the the percentages of players that get to the big leagues is is really small, and for those that stay a long time is even smaller. So, um, it, it's definitely a, a test of mental toughness and I'm lucky that I was able to uh to get in New York. I didn't stay there long. You know, they traded me for a fish, uh, but 
uh, Steve Trout a year later, yeah. they traded That's me right. for a fish. And, but nonetheless, uh, being in New York was really a special time. Yeah. yeah. And, and listen, they, I'm sorry. That, that wasn't, as you move on and everybody gets to see how your career plays out, wasn't necessarily, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. Cubbies. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to throw out different teams. Folks, Bob's played for the Cubbies, for the Cardinals, Rangers, Padres, Twins. I'm going to throw those names at you. Give me just a couple of words as I throw the team out to you. Your time at the Cubbies. Mm. Uh, challenging. The Cardinals. Memorable. The Rangers. Um, hmm, the Rangers. Uh, hot. <laughs> <laughs> Padres. A ton of fun. Twins. Uh, on the downside. Okay. Padres were fun. That was fun. I like doing that. Yeah, I like doing that, Chester. That was fun. Little quick hitters gives you a a recollection of what's the first thing you think of when the team, you you had to have had that. And, yeah, I'm glad that that you were able to play along with that. That is real good. You know, some of the younger people out there, you might not remember or know who we're speaking with. And I, I want to put a couple of things in comparison before I ask you the next question, Bob. I, I want to give a couple of the folks a little history lesson so that they have an idea. You know, back in 1992, you're 31 years old, 16 and 5, you had a 2.16 ERA, 233 innings pitched. Now, if you look up the definition of control pitching, folks, in your dictionaries, you're going to look and you're going to see Bob's picture from 1992 where he pitched 233 innings and walked 20. Now, mm. I want to go ahead and put that in relation for the younger crowd to a picture of today that they'll be a little bit more familiar with. In 2015, kids, Clayton Kershaw, at the age of 27, had pretty much the same number, 16 and 7, 232.2 innings, third in the Cy Young. He had 42 walks. So you're talking for you guys out there, you are talking better than Kershaw control. Scary. Then you go ahead and you follow it up at the age of 32. And, and folks, here, I, I've got a stat for you. know, Bob, this is a stat-based show. And here's one for everybody. You had 17 wins in 93 and 20 walks. Only three people have (laughs) only done that four times where they had more wins than walks. I mean, that is just Mm. absolutely ridiculous. Now, with all that said, no, no, with all Mm -hmm. that said, it takes a lot. It takes a lot because it takes, mental toughness, and again, I had mentioned that before, did you work on your pitching end of it? Was it so much that you were worried about the control of the ball that you had, or would you say you worked more on player tendencies and what they were doing in their approach, or both? 
Which one? How did you approach it? Yeah, well, I think, uh, Jester, I think it's a whole package. I think it's um, you have to know the hitter tendencies, their strengths, and their weaknesses, number one. uh, And you develop a plan to pitch to those uh, weaknesses, whatever that may be. But more important than that, um, I think it's a mindset. You know, I just hated walking people. I just, you know, I I knew how uh, how walks can be harmful. You know, I did give up a lot of hits, but I didn't walk people. And it seems that most of the damage that pitchers face come after walks, those free passes. So mm-hmm. uh, so I made that part of my philosophy. And then I really worked on my mechanics. You know, I could I could literally put the ball where I wanted to. Uh, 90% of the time, and uh, I think that that's something that pitchers don't do today is really um, command the baseball. I shouldn't say pitchers don't. Some pitchers don't. Uh, A lot of pitchers do. Um, So when you have consistent mechanics, you have a solid approach, and you have a game plan, that's what I think uh, helped contribute to low walk totals. I think that was a fair thing to say that. Pitchers do pay attention to the uh, walks. I just maybe not as much as they probably could, and, and certainly not to this degree. I mean, I'm sorry, Bob. Those are filthy numbers. I don't, I don't mean to embarrass you or anything, but 20 walks and 17 wins, that is just, that's just ridiculous. Uh, let me ask you something. And speaking upon that, you know, you're throwing 200 innings, 233 innings. How do you feel about today's innings limits? Uh, well, that's um, the game has changed, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, pitchers walking people now, uh, you know, isn't, I don't think it's quite, well, I shouldn't say it's not quite emphasized. I think pitchers are always uh, told to not walk people, but guys throw a lot harder um, now and occasionally, you know, I think the strike zone is smaller. Um, so I think there's some variables that come into play with that. But that said, I think that, um, you know, the innings limit is, is something that uh, that I understand, but I don't understand. I mean, I know that the research talks about injuries happen when pitchers throw pitches when they're tired. And the cumulative effect of that increases the chance of injury. So if a pitcher gets tired at 100 pitches, uh, I can see, you know, maybe that's you take him out because you have a big investment in that guy and and you want him for the course of the season. Um, I will say, however, that, you know, it should be balanced with, you know, how the game plays out. I don't think some days 100 pitches aren't as stressful as another day's 100 pitches instead of, putting a number on something, I think there's a feel to the game that needs to be remembered. Um, and on certain days, 120 might be a better number. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, certainly the heat, you know, dehydration, um, there's a lot of factors, you know, if, the, if in, a, in the National League the pitcher's running the bases, you know, uh, so there could be some fatigue. So there's a number of factors that come into play. I understand trying to prevent injury. Um, I just think that it should be uh, uh, on a case-by-case basis and not a standard, you know, 
number of pitches uh, that pitchers have to throw or that they're limited to throw. I uh, I have an odd opinion on it, just real quick. Uh, I just believe that if your arm is used to, you start out early, used to throwing innings, your arm just builds up that strength to be able to do those innings. How much that's true, I don't know. We've had several different discussions on both sides of the fence on that. But one of the things that you alluded to earlier in your preparation, you were talking about hitters' tendencies, which makes me beg the question, folks. You know, one of the funniest things I've ever seen, and I could only imagine what it's like to face Mark McGuire, somebody of that stature, have him stand in the box against you, and you had that opportunity. And it's funny because you decided to use an EFIS pitch against not just him, but you started using it for a good portion of the game to the point where Tony LaRusa is quoted as saying that it was funny, but then he kept getting out, and it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> And that made Tony how, mad. I like that. <laughs> how did? Yeah, well, he like he said he thought it was funny at first when you first did it, but then you kept getting outs, and it's no longer funny. <laughs> how did you right. come up with the idea? And and was it at the spur of the moment? Was the night before in your mind in your preparation that said, you know what, this is how I'm going to approach Mark McGuire? Well, I too. You know, the EFIS pitch uh, as part of a, you know, as part of my repertoire, it was something that I practiced. I tried to see how possibly how slow I could throw the pitch and still get it over the plate. And (laughs) it wasn't a, it's not a lob pitch. You know, a a lob pitch would have backspin. This is a curveball. This has forward spin like a curveball. It's just thrown really, really slow. So uh, I've used it to, to, you know, pitch to Willie McGee. I've used it to Albert Bell and uh, other players, and I didn't use it a lot, but I used it when I felt it was appropriate. And and so McGuire had hit a home run off me the year before when he was with Oakland, and that home run hit the center field cameraman. So uh, so I it was it was on a fastball. So I wanted to do something different. So I I said to the catcher uh, Terry Stombach, I said, look. Let's throw him the Ephus, and he goes, "I love it." So that's what we <laughs> threw him, and and uh, Mark he grounded out, and then he popped up, and you know he could see him. I saw a footage. There was a footage recently on a MLB Network that mm-hmm. I was on that show last week, and they they showed the clip of that pitch to McGuire, and um, he was laughing at it also, and so it was really fun, but. It's something that, you know, I didn't want to overuse it or overexpose it. It's something that I had to keep as – my son called it the dominator. You know, that's what that's he, he called the 47-mile-an-hour <laughs> pitch the dominator. So, it And, you know, that is the funniest thing. You, you, you brought up a great point about the sportsmanship in the game of baseball, you know. I, I, this is part of the game, and I, I always find the allure of the game in general. I, I'm a purist in the idea, leave the game alone, don't give me the uh, pitch clock and all that stuff. And you go ahead and you bring up something like this, and your catch is like, yeah, let's go for it. 
And the guy that, I mean, he is the monster hitter of the time, found it funny as well. He had a good, he, he was a good sport about it that you found a way. Listen, the guy hit it almost, it would have been out of Yellowstone the year before from what you're saying. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. you overcame, you thought about it. Okay. Well, you know what? He did this the last time. I'm going to change my approach. And you came up with something that worked, and he respected you for it, you know? Again, yeah, using uh, your head. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was fun. I think uh, baseball over a long season gets pre- pretty monotonous, and and uh, those little moments that you can have fun or appreciate another person's efforts, you know, on the field, whether it's a great catch or a you know, robbing of a home run or something like that, where it's like, okay, man, I see you got me. That's cool. So I I think that little interaction is good amongst players. And Mark and I certainly had it on that day. That's fun. I love those little stories, those little side stories people, you know, really don't know much about. Now, I want to get a little bit closer now to to today. You know, you're uh, working with the Giants, mental skills coaches, is that's something that every uh, major league baseball team has as a mental skills coach. They do now, Jester. They didn't when I played. It came up with the Yankees. You asked me about my time in New York uh, as mm-hmm, a twenty-five-year-old mm-hmm. rookie. I was scared to death. I could have used a mental skills coach then, uh, but um, but more teams do now. The field has grown immensely. Teams are. Um, hiring mental skills coaches. Uh, some have more than one. Some have, you know, one at the major league level and others at the minor league level. And um, and we're there to help with a player with, you know, confidence, uh, in-game situations, anxiety, uh, concentration, you know, performance type of things. Uh, we don't deal with anything clinical. We don't diagnose anything. Uh, we make referrals to players or help players find the resources for that. So it's purely performance-based. And, you know, as of now, uh, I think I'm the only former major league pitcher that's in the field. I think that uh, there are more professional, thankfully there are more professional players looking to do this using their experiences like I did, the playing experiences combined with, um, you know, the educational background. So that's exciting. It's an exciting field to be part of. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, in that, as you as you take a look at these young men and you're seeing maybe a, a pattern or something, what is the number one thing that you'd like to see that the players struggle with that you wish high school coaches or maybe college coaches addressed a little bit more? Uh, um, hmm. Well, uh, to be fair to the high school coaches and college coaches, uh, it's not an environment that I'm in a lot. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm speculating more on what I think that they should do. So, because I don't, I don't really know, but one thing that when you were asking me that question, one thing that comes to mind is, is confidence. You know, that um, even the best big leaguers go through periods where they lose their confidence and worry about getting another hit. And mm-hmm. I know that, um, that pressure, and these are guys that have guaranteed contracts that know that they're going to play the next day. You know, I think in college and high school, sometimes coaches 
react to a player's lack of success on a particular day and then make the lineup based on that. So if players feel like the only way that they're going to play is to get hits, which only increases anxiety and uh, and the focus on results, which really is counterproductive. So I think, um, you know, helping the players with their confidence, believing in them even when they don't succeed, and showing that by continuing to put them in the lineup, I guess would be my commentary for that. Good. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's fantastic. Now, again, we mentioned your book, 90% Mental, an all-star player turned mental skills coach reveals the hidden gem of baseball. Your well, the, name, hidden, the hidden game of baseball, yeah. The hidden game of baseball. Now, let me ask you, what is it, – it, it, uh, we're going ahead. We're going to be telling everybody where they can go ahead and get the book. What is the main mm-hmm. message that, you're, that you want to go ahead and send home? What are they – why should they? Well, I think that there's, the book is, has a baseball background. You know, the narrative is about, you know, my career, my struggles, uh, things I overcame – and what I shared as a mental skills coach with four of the game's top players, Anthony Rizzo, Rich Hill, John Lester, and Andrew Miller. Um, but, what I, but in and amongst those, that narrative are key points that I think people can use in any field. You know, it's, it talks about confidence, talks about self-talk and that little voice that we have in our heads that, is always chattering at us. It talks about imagery and how to use that to imagine success. Uh, it talks about overcoming failure. So there's a lot of, um, I believe there's, there's a lot of stories in the book, like I said, that can be, uh, you, could, you could put it into a business setting, you could put it into a soccer setting, you could put it into any setting, and I think it, the messages there are applicable to those as well. Without a question, I believe, and I'm going to take that a step further. You can read this book, folks, and really apply it to even your day-to-day life that isn't sports-related. This is a type of book that will show you how to approach things. See, you don't have to be a sports fan or uh, play sports to gain knowledge from this type of book. It is absolutely fantastic. I will go ahead at the uh, end of this. We're going to go ahead and have an article. Bob, where can people find your book? Is there a specific specific place you'd like to tell people besides on the article I'll be putting out? Absolutely, Justin. I really appreciate you asking that. Um, it can be it can be autographed copies can be purchased at gibsonsbookstore.com and that's a local store in new hampshire uh i live close by i go down and sign copies when they have requests so you can order it online there uh they'll 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 ship it to you and they'll be signed uh you can have it personalized if you request that and they'll and I'll go down and personalize it and send it out so gibsonsbookstore.com it's in Concord New Hampshire folks you heard that if you want a must read you have to and like i said it doesn't pertain to sports this helps you build yourself 
to be better tomorrow. 90% mental and all-star player turned mental skills coach reveals the hidden game of baseball. Find it now, gibbonsbookstore.com. Bob Tewksbury, thanks so much for making time for us tonight. Yeah, Gibson's Bookstore, you're right. Uh, Jester, it was awesome. I love it. You do a great job. I love your passion. Thanks for the, all you do for for those around you and, and even others. So uh, keep up the great work. Appreciate it, Bob. Thanks so much. You have a great night. We'll talk soon. All righty. Thanks. Great times, great times, great times. Let me tell you something, folks. Um, you get the opportunity to sit with a quality man like that. You just want more. And what's going to happen is I spoke with Bob afterwards. And obviously, like I said, I teased the intro, the outro there coming up uh, because it is that damn good. Uh, You have to sit with him again. So I spoke with him after that interview and somewhere around all-star break, he's going to come on. And he's going to talk to us about the state of the game, where we are at the All-Star break, any stories that, you know, are going on and some of the inside stuff maybe he'll have for us. You know, just a, a another nice appearance out of Bob. So we're looking forward to that. He'll also be going ahead and signing, autographing something for us for the Make-A-Wish auctions. Many people have asked me, where are the auctions? <laughs> I'm happy so happy to announce we finally have everything worked out. You know, it's all the finer details I thought myself, honestly. Remember, folks, I'm new. I would tell you the truth. I'm new. I thought it goes a little quicker, the whole process of how to get through the payments and all, the whole little BS behind the scenes stuff. Um, but yeah. Next week at this time, I will be telling you the date of the auction. The article will be out for the auction and all that good stuff. What else is coming up next week? Don't forget, we're going to have draft coverage. We're going to have JT Tate down in Dallas taking care of things at the actual NFL draft. Who are they going to meet up with? Who could they talk to? What are they going to see? It should be very interesting to see what they come up with. Uh, They just did a wonderful job covering the spring training out in Phoenix. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. You got Walton down at Miami camp and me either at Miami or Jacksonville. I have not decided yet. We've got that coming up. YouTube channel is just about done. Do you want to see some of the crazy crap that we do around here? Do you want to see some of the crazy promos? going to have it all in one area for all of you, the YouTube channel. It's coming your way. That sounded cool. Coming your way. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. No. Um, Next week, you see, Walton thinks he's the only one that can pull a Miami player out of his uh, fin. And um, so, to not not one-up Walton, but just to Side by side with Mr. Walden. Don't want to, you know, hurt his little thin feelings there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I happen to have my own guest. He was going to be on this week, uh, but is out of the country, actually, and had to cancel for next week. We're going to have, he ran the 100 meter at 10.21. The current world record is 958 by Usain Bolt. 
He is up on the Miami Dolphins ring of honor. We're going to have Mark super duper on the show next week. All that and more. But now it is time. Unless that crop report was controlled by myself or JT and Tate. And now you wait for it each and every week. And we have been busting it out, folks, here with another great edition. Is the aforementioned JT and Tate. Well, you know, Jester, got to say, love the uh, talk with Bob Tewksbury. The guy sounds like, sounds like you just sit and talk sports. Or just life with that guy all day. So looking forward to having more of him as the shows and the months go along. Got to bring Tate in, though. We got the crop report to talk about tonight. Got a few names that we thought might have been up already. We got a few names that may not be up for a while. But I'm going to bring in Tate Dello. Tate, you ready to do a little crop report? I'm all set. I got my crops, and I'm ready to report about them. I like it. So I want to start off with a guy you're going to say, okay, we know who this guy is. We've heard all about him. I want to talk a little bit about Vlad Guerrero Jr., Blue Jays double-A team in New Hampshire right now, a guy that is absolutely 19 years old, just turned 19. Any of you in a dynasty league, if he isn't sitting on your roster right now, there's something wrong with you. Put this kid on your roster. Josh Donaldson's already seen the DL. He's having problems throwing the ball to first base. Vlad Guerrero just happens to play third base, and he does it well. Looking at a guy that's got 17 hits and 51 at-bats this season, that's a 333 clip, a 393 on-base percentage, six walks to only five Ks. Every level that this kid's played at, he's walked more than he's struck out. I can't emphasize to you how amazing that is. When you go on the major league scouting scale of 20 being terrible, 80 being the best, the kid has an 80 hit tool rating. It gets no better than that. He's got a 65 power rating, well above average. If you saw his daddy play, think of Vlad Guerrero Sr., but I think this kid has a chance to be better. And just the whole Blue Jays organization, that infield, Tate, Vlad Guerrero Jr., any thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, uh, if anybody's been paying any attention to baseball, especially at the end of spring training there, there's that video that's probably gone viral by this point of Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the final preseason game in Montreal hitting that monster home run that they put his swing on that hit on that uh, home run shot right next to his dad's in the video and uh, they look eerily similar. So the the guy's going to be a beast when he does get the opportunity. And again, like you said, with Donaldson already being hurt and him performing the way he's, he's performing in the minors, it's not going to be very long before he gets that opportunity, but not going to be very on. long. Go ahead. No, I'll go say real quick, that service clock has expired. His service clock is good to go. So it's not going to be the issue of Super 2 with him. So anytime now. Tate, what do you got for me? Well, you mentioned service clock. Um, So the first guy I'm going to bring up is a guy by the name of Glaber Torres for the Yankees, Mm -hmm. 21-year-old kid. uh, Had an okay with spring training 
this year. So he only batted 130 and 23 at bats in spring training and ended up not making the main roster out of uh, training camp. But uh, you mentioned service time. The Yankees sent him down. His 20 days of uh, playing in the minors this season has gone past. And so they've acquired the service time so he can be called up now. They made that move this afternoon following today's game. The Yankees called up Glaber Torres. He'll be playing tomorrow with the big club in New York. Uh, so far this year, in uh, 14 games in the minors, he's got 49 at-bats. He's got six runs, 17 hits, uh, three doubles, a triple, and a homer, 11 RBIs, five walks, and 10 strikeouts. So not, not horrible there, but getting good number of walks compared to strikeouts. Right. Uh, batting 347 with a 393 on base, 510 slugging percentage, and 903 OPS. So uh, get ready to see Glaber Torres come up in the uh, major leagues. The uh, downside, or if there's a downside with him, he is coming off Tommy John that he did have last year. He uh, was given a slight opportunity and came up last year for a, for a quick minute and ended up hurting his elbow. It was his left elbow, though, which is his non-throwing elbow. So uh, he did have Tommy John. That could explain why he was struggling in spring training this year, coming off the Tommy John, getting back in the uh, baseball shape. And, you know, something to think about. This is baseball's number five prospect overall. You know, Brian Cashman takes a beating, and, and I'm one of the people that like to give it to him takes a beating for a lot of his moves, but think about this. This guy was the Chicago Cubs' top prospect. Cashman was able to acquire him in the Aroldis Chapman trade a few years ago, no, a couple years ago, and then Chapman re-signs with the Yankees the next year. They got this kid basically for a rental on Chapman. Uh, I, see a, I see a big future with this kid. He can play second, he can play third, and I think he can play shortstop in a pinch as well. So uh, Glaber Torres up. Go check your waiver wires, see if he's available. Now I want to talk about a guy, a pitcher, that's not going to be up this season. But, again, I'm appealing to the Dynasty League players out there. kid named Hunter Green won't be 19 years old until August 6th. But he's a young kid. First draft, second pick overall in last year's draft. Six foot four, 197 right-handed pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. You want to talk about a kid that has some heat, and I mentioned that rating of 20 to 80 earlier. His fastball is scouted out at an 80. This kid throws, and he, his fastball is topped 101 to 102 miles per hour, and he's 18. This kid hasn't even filled into his man body yet. Uh, they let, the Reds let him play some DH after they signed him. The kid's also played some shortstop. He's a pitcher now. He's not doing the Shohei Otani thing. But the thing I like about the fact that he played shortstop is it should really help him as far as his fielding goes as a pitcher in the major leagues. Can't be understood. We've seen how many times this year pitchers have made horrible plays or not covered a base or done something that's cost them to your team a game. So I really like what this kid brings in the intangibles. Uh, right now he's in single A Dayton. Five innings so far. The only thing that I've, and again, I think this will come with time, Tate, I know you're familiar with him as well, is his control. Uh, he tends to build up a pitch count early, so I think, just, like I said, I think it's going to be next summer before we see this kid in the majors. But again, if you're in a dynasty league, just someone to keep on your radar, someone to tuck away. Yeah, I, I love this kid, Hunter Green, too. We, we were texting earlier today about him, and uh, – 
I mentioned the fact that, you know, I love the kid. I think he's more a year and a half, two years away before he uh, gets the, the call up. Um, like you said, when we talked earlier, it maybe September next year, not this year, but mm-hmm. maybe a September call up when the rosters expand next year to uh, get a taste of, of things in the big leagues. But uh, they're basically building him up, building up his arm. He hasn't pitched over 100 innings in a season coming right out of high school. So this year, down there in single A, maybe get a chance to move up a little bit into high A or something this year, building up his pitch counts, getting some innings under his belt, and getting a feel for uh, being a professional baseball player of year-round as opposed to uh, just a high school season or, or yeah. uh, and the uh, invitational leagues and such. And to think about, real quick, one last thought on him. The Reds are notoriously a team that doesn't spend a lot of money. The kid got a record, the bo- the, you, know, you have the bonus pool now for your draft picks, record $7.23 million bonus when they signed this kid, which is absolutely insane when you look at what some of the people around him got. So the Reds believe in this kid. I think they're going to use the kid glove treatment on him early on. But, again, someone to keep an eye on down the road. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on him. Uh, somebody else, my next guy that I'm going to mention is a guy he made a uh, big splash in spring training this year with the Braves is Ronald Acuna. Um, again, mm-hmm. again, a lot of people know the name, um, and he's one of those guys that people think he was kept down based on his performance in spring training. A lot of people think he was kept down for the service time issue to accrue that extra year of the team control on him by keeping him down in the minors for a few games this year. Um, at the same time, he is, does seem to be struggling a little bit this year. He's got 12 games under his belt so far this year in right. 50 at bats. He's only batting 180 this year. Uh, I think he's, he's got scored six bit. runs. What's that? I think he's pressing a little bit, trying to show that he belongs with the big club. Yeah, I agree. I think he's trying to he he had like I said, he had the big spring training playing with the big club in the in uh the Grapefruit League and now that he's down there in the minors, he's like you said, he's trying to push a little bit and show that he did deserve to be up there on the major league club and not quote unquote stuck down in triple A where they put him. But uh expect big things from him for the future. He's a guy he'll probably be up this year. It may not be – it may be a little later rather than sooner, but definitely keep him on your radar. If he's available in your league, probably go ahead and go grab him now and stash him. But he's, he'll definitely be up, and when he does come up, he'll make a big splash. Right, so. and uh, the GM Anthopolis has said once he gets on a hot streak, uh, I think we'll see him up at that point. One last guy I just want to touch on, uh, at least for you and I, Tate, is a guy that would have been on a future crop report, but apparently this crop grew a little quicker than anticipated. Uh, little brother of Julieski Gurriel, Lourdes Gurriel, second base shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays that have an absolutely insanely loaded uh, infield in their in their crop. Uh, guy got the call the other day, and you got Dion Travis batting 147, hurt as usual after struggling mightily last season. Uh, do you think we might see this kid uh, here to stay? Um, I think he's going to be given every opportunity to do so. Um, he's come up and in, he's played two games yesterday and today. He's got eight at bats, three hits. All three hits were singles, but he's also got three RBIs on those three hits. 
Uh, he hasn't had a walk yet, two strikeouts. So two games, batting 375 in the majors so far, not bad. Uh, his 12 games in the minors leading up to this, he had 49 at-bats, and he's batting 347. So in in that, 17 hits, three doubles, one triple and one homer, 11 RBIs, three walks, and six strikeouts. So well, I the think pedi- he, the pedigree is there. The pedigree exactly. is there. And if you need a second baseman, American League team in a very good lineup, he's done it against the Yankees. That's got to be exciting for him to come up against the New York Yankees and do that right away. But, you know, Jester's been quiet for a while here. And he was teasing me earlier about a pitcher that he had. What do you got for me, Jester? You know, I, I, I wanted to be able to go ahead and sit back and listen to what you guys had to say and just take it in. Just take it in because, honestly, and I'm sorry, I got to take a break. Yeah, you're right. I do have a, a picture I want to give everybody. And I have to be honest, I sit there and I listen to the two of you guys uh, go back and forth. And it's no wonder that the crop report really is – becoming so popular with our baseball fans. Uh, great job, guys. Fantastic job. I loved every bit of it. You guys nailed it. And speaking of, you know, you're talking about Acuna and pretty much, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what the GM had to say about him coming up and all. In that same discussion three days ago, he was also talking about, and I just want to throw this name out there. It's not the guy I had for you, but for people to pay attention, the two pitchers I'm going to talk about are under inside the top 40 MLB right now uh, uh, on the uh, ratings for uh, MLB. Mike Soroka is one that they said in the same conversation when they were talking to Kuna that he's knocking on the door. Won't be long before you see him. You might want to stash him if you're in a redraft league. And again, Dynasty League, young arm, a lot of talent. A guy that, listen, you look at those Ks per nine, and everywhere he's gone, he's just got a high K per nine and a low whip. That just equals success wherever you go. But the guy that I wanted to talk about personally was Jack Flaherty because he's a guy that's out there, and he's available in some leagues. He's not available in any league that I own. But um, he's available out there in leagues, and – he, he's been successful throughout the minors, and he had a brief cup of coffee already this, so far at the beginning of this season and uh, was able to get a couple of innings under his belt and perform rather well. And he's gone back down and absolutely dominating AAA. So he'll be back up shortly. Again, Jack Flaherty uh, for St. Louis. Somebody you want to go ahead, if he's out there, grab him, stash him on your redraft, and certainly if he's in your dynasty league, He should already be gone in your league. You know, before we go ahead and switch gears into the NFL, I would be remiss without saying to all of you, not just here on Blog Talk Radio, but each and every week, depending on, you know, you might listen to other platforms. I don't know what platform you listen to. Don't forget, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Spreaker, Libsyn, Buzzsprout, Audio Boom, Simplecast, Spotify, and uh, we're waiting. We should have it uh, pretty soon on iHeartRadio. And uh, once we get the iHeartRadio in, working on being able to get Alexa, play the Fantasy Jester show, playing the best damn show with the best damn beard. All right, folks. 
let's get into some football. Now, you know, we talked just briefly a couple of minutes ago about everything with Ryan, with Tate, with JT, and, and the guest. And I'm going to be bringing Duper next week. And JT is go, and Tate are going to be in Dallas. And Walton's down in Miami. And I'm going to be God knows where. And the draft is here. If you are an NFL fan, this is the time of year to sit back and enjoy. Now, real quick, before I bring the guys back in, what we're going to do tonight, some names that over the next week you're going to hear. You're going to hear these names, and then in particular, on the three nights of draft, you're going to hear some of the names that we're going to talk about. There's a reason why we're talking about them. There's a reason why you should pay attention to them. We didn't just pick names out of a hat, folks. This is stuff that we highly research for all of you. For you Packer fans out there, you know your team has the most in the draft. You have 12 picks. For teams like myself, the Giants, Philly, the Jets, Detroit, and the Titans, you know each of you have the least amount at six. The Browns have two picks in the first round, first and fourth. Tate's beloved Bills have two at 12 and 22. Everyone's hated team, the New England Patriots, have two at 23 and 31. The Houston Texans do not pick until the 68th pick, and the L.A. Rams don't pick until the 87th. But we're going to give you each pick that you should be paying attention to. I'm going to start out, we're going to go with Tate. Tate's going to give you a rundown of certain players that you should look at. Then we'll go to JT. Then I'll give you a couple myself. Enjoy, folks. Tate, what do you have? I'm going to start off with the guy that is uh, a lot of people think is going to be picked first overall. If he's not picked first overall, he'll definitely go in that top few picks there. Uh, Sam Darnold, quarterback out of USC. He was a junior this year, but uh, he's 6'3", 220. Very prototypical quarterback, um, good quality player. He put up a lot of numbers there at USC over his career. Uh, definitely worthy of a high pick, according to all the scouts out there and and whatnot. But a uh, couple things, a couple questions that people had about him was the idea of, well, he plays at USC. Where, where in Southern California is always nice weather. So the question was, what can he do in inclement weather, whether it be rain or snow? Well, that question was somewhat answered when at his pro day, all of a sudden in USC in Southern California, it was raining for his pro day. Sam Darnold went out there just like it was any other day threw all the passes, made all the plays, and completed everything, making it look like it was no big deal that, that it was raining. Granted, it doesn't necessarily answer a snow question if he were to go someplace like Buffalo or Green Bay that plays outdoor in the winter, but uh, he definitely answered some questions that way. My only concern with him is I'm going to go down a quick list here of names, uh, all former USC quarterbacks, Carson Palmer, Matt Leiner. Mark Sanchez, Matt Barkley, Rob Johnson, Matt Castle, Rodney Pete, 
Pat Hayden, John David Booty, Cody Kessler. There's there's more, but I think you get the idea. All these guys were highly touted prospects coming out of uh, USC as the quarterback led their team to national championships and and whatnot in U- at USC. But not very few of them. Carson Palmer was probably the most successful out of all of them, and. So it leads to question, is Sam Darnold going to turn into being a Carson Palmer or is Sam Darnold going to turn on to be Rob Johnson or Mark Sanchez? So that's my question with Darnold, but he's definitely going to go go very high in the draft. Uh, I'll move on. Uh, Calvin Ridley, wide receiver out of, out of Alabama. Uh, guy's a beast. He's six foot, 189 yards, ran a 4-4-3, 40-yard dash at the Combine. Uh, his, his last year – at Alabama, he 63 receptions, 967 yards, and five touchdowns. That was his least productive year of the three years that he played there. Uh, his first year in 2015, 89 receptions, 1,045 yards, and seven touchdowns. His second year, 72 receptions, 769 yards, and seven touchdowns. So he's top-tier wide receiver. He's probably going to go in the early to mid first round this year somebody's going to go out there um i know being here in dallas with them cutting des and bringing in alan hearns and all these guys that they've done in the off season here there's talk of uh him possibly landing in dallas but uh i don't know that that's necessarily the best pick for them but anyway he he will go somewhere in the top half of the draft probably to a team like dallas that's looking for a wide receiver to replace des um, I'm going to switch gears and go defense now. Uh, first one, I'm going to talk about defensive tackle out of Washington, Vita Vea. Jester, do you mind chiming in for just a second? Can you tell me what his full name is? You know, or, or are you not you, available you just, to do that? No, no, no. I, very, 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 very funny, sir. It is uh, my job to uh, be able to, ha- I mean, try and say this man's name as best I can, but it, it's actually rather easy. It is Teavita Tua Kiono Mosasea Vahe Falatua Vea. So there you go, folks. He tried to get me, but it's my job to know it. You continue on now, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jester. I appreciate that. Anytime. Any, anyway, Vita Vea, defensive tackle out of Washington, He's a six foot four junior, three hundred forty seven pounds, big guy. Uh, his career at Washington, he had ninety nine tackles and nine and a half sacks. Uh, so look for him to to put some pressure. He's more of a run stopper than a pass rusher, but uh, he'll definitely block up the middle there at the defensive tackle position for anybody that uh, does take him. Again, probably a mid first round pick but a, a quality player for somebody to look at that needs to uh, put some more uh, run blocking on their defensive line there. Uh, number four that I'll bring you is uh, Shaquem Griffin. I like this kid. He's an outside linebacker out of UCF, Central Florida, uh, the team that actually went undefeated last year in uh, NCAA. So uh, this guy is six foot one, 227 pounds. He's a, He's a fifth-year senior. Uh, he ran a 4.38 40-yard dash. He did 20 reps on the bench press. The uh, knock on this guy, well, before I get to the knock on him, 
real quick 2017 stats last year in 13 games had 74 tackles in his uh, 2016 season again 13 games 92 tackles uh, 11 and a half sacks two years ago seven sacks last year one interception each year as well so uh, but the knock on him and why he tends to be slipping and a little bit in a lot of draft boards and not even on some is this is the kid that has only one hand due to a uh, disease that he's had from birth. He uh, has just one hand, but this guy goes out there. I mean, you see 92 tackles and this kid's going to be a beast when he comes to the NFL. Somebody's going to give him an opportunity. Somebody's going to take him probably late first round, Maybe he'll slide to day two. Somebody's going to take this kid on, on day two if they don't take him in the first round. But uh, Shaquem Griffin out of UCF, somebody to keep your eyes on and somebody to look at as a uh, defensive IDP player in your fantasy leagues, depending on where he ends up. Um, last but not least, I'm going to give you kind of a sleeper pick. Uh, I like this guy. His name is phenomenal. Uh, Auden Tate. Six foot five, two hundred twenty-five pounds, wide receiver out of Florida State. Uh, guy has a he he's a little slow for a wide receiver. Ran a four six eight forty yard dash, but he's got a thirty one inch vertical, one hundred twelve inch broad jump at the combine. Uh, someplace I see see this guy fitting in well would be with with the Forty ers who are supposedly taking a very good close look at him uh, in the late rounds probably like fifth, sixth round pick, uh, 22 games last year. He, he had uh, 65 receptions. I'm sorry, 22 games in his two years at uh, Florida state, 65 receptions, 957 yards and 16 touchdowns. But uh, the reason I think he fits in well with San Francisco, he's like I said, four, six, eight, 40, not a speed burner guy, but you look at what San Francisco has Garoppolo, throwing the ball. He's got Marquise Goodwin on the other side. Marquise Goodwin, for those of you that don't know, is a Olympic quality athlete on the track. So he's just missed the cut of making the Olympic team last time out. So uh, you got the speed burner over there, Marquise Goodwin on the one side, add an Auden Tate to the, uh, to the other side, give uh, Garoppolo a big target to throw to, guy that's proven he can catch the ball and uh, get some yardage and a good red zone target for him out of the uh, other side opposite Marquise Goodwin. So uh, that's my guys. Uh, JT, what do you got? Well, well I got to say, oh, go, go ahead, ahead Justin. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, great players listening to some of the guys you're mentioning, some fantastic talent in this year's draft. Uh, the first guy I want to start off with is kind of an obvious guy, somebody that, you know, Jester and Mr. Walton were having a good time about earlier. Uh, the consensus best player in the draft, in my opinion, Saquon Barkley, uh, running back out of Penn State. You know, the thing I look at with this guy, and people say, yeah, that's an obvious one. You know, we, we've heard all about this guy. When I look and see this guy, you look at his stats of last year alone, 217 carries, 1,271 yards, 18 touchdowns, that's 5.8 yards per carry. He also caught 54 balls for 632 yards and three more scores. The guy's an all-around player. I see Marshall Falk when I see this guy. 
The scouts grade for him is a 7.45. That's pro bowl grade on this guy already. I don't care where he goes. A couple things I want to touch on. 4.4 yards or 4.4 in the 40. Got some speed. 29 reps on the bench press at 225 pounds. Kid's got some strength. The kid runs routes like a wide receiver, like a polished wide receiver. I've heard some GMs compare his route running to what Reggie Wayne did in the combine coming out of Miami when Peyton Manning begged the Colts to take this guy because of his route running ability. So when I look at Saquon Barkley, I don't care if he goes to the Browns. I don't care if he goes to the Giants. The kid's going to be a star no matter where he ends up. He works hard. His people at Jay, you know, Jay-Z's his agent, his people are saying, hey, pull the Eli Manning and what he did to San, you know, San Diego. We're not going to play there if you take us. No, the kid's a stand-up guy. I'm going to play wherever I'm drafted. The kid's got some character, and he's definitely got the skills. So Saquon Barkley, I can't wait to see where this guy ends up. And by the way, Jester, my prediction to that is Denver at five. Second Denver player, I touched five? on him earlier. Yeah, I think Denver at five is where he ends up. Second player, I talked a little bit about him early. I want to talk about him a little bit more now. Tremaine Edwards, six foot five, two hundred and thirty-five pound linebacker. I mean, just just soak that in. Five, a four point five in the forty, hundred and seventeen inch broad jump, a seven point one seven scouts grade. Again, Pro Bowl caliber. The thing I like about, oh, and by the way, the scouts comparison to him is another guy that had similar size and ability, and Brian Urlacher, guy that played safety in New Mexico. The Bears drafted him, moved into middle linebacker, and well, you know the rest from there. This guy excels in pass coverage. He's an unbelievable blitzer off the edge. He creates turnovers, and he is a hitter. He wraps people up. I'm not going to go for the knockout blow. I'm going to wrap you up, get you to the ground. There's not enough players like this kid in the NFL. I mentioned earlier his dad, Farrell Edmonds, former Dolphins tight end. He's got the pedigree. He's got someone who's played in the league, someone there to mentor him. Uh, I like everything I've seen from him. Virginia Tech has put out some good, you know, Buzz Foster puts out some good defensive players that are usually NFL-ready when they get drafted. So I think this is a guy that's probably going to go in the top ten, but a guy that more people need to pay attention to. My third guy, probably my favorite player in this draft, guard out of Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson. Yes, I'm going to talk offensive line because if it isn't for the big uglies, these running backs like Saquon Barkley and these quarterbacks like Sam Darnold aren't going to have time to do anything. So Quentin Nelson, a guy that could have come out last year, probably would have been a top 15, top 10 pick last year, uh, decided to stay for a senior year at Notre Dame. A guy that in 2016 didn't allow a sack and only allowed one quarterback pressure. A guy last year that gave up one sack, one quarterback pressure. The guy has really heavy hands. So what I mean by this, the guy just – run blocker just absolutely blows you off the ball. Generally, you don't find guards that are as dominant a run blocker as they are pass blocker. In this case, this guy is. The player comparison on him, I'm going to go old school Cowboys with you. When I say old school, I'm going to say 90s because it's been that long since they've won anything. Larry Allen. <laughs> think Larry Allen when you think – sorry, Cowboys fans, the truth is the truth. Larry Allen is exactly what I see when I look at this kid. Think Zach Martin just a little bit better. So Quentin Nelson out of Notre Dame, uh, 2017 consensus All-American. I mean, the accolades on this guy are fantastic. A 7.34 scouts grade on this guy. 
So yet another Pro Bowl caliber player. Player number four on the JT Tour of players, Denzel Ward. And yes, he plays at Ohio State. It makes me sick that I'm about to give kudos to somebody from Ohio State. <laughs> okay, but I'm going to do it. Five foot ten, 191 pounds. People say, but that's a little undersized. Oh no, the, the, the fight in this dog. This guy is—he's cocky. He's good. He knows it, and he's extremely physical. We're talking about a guy last year alone: 15 pass defense, one interception. Basically locked down the entire half of that football field for Ohio State on his own. He does something that my one of my favorite players of all time in Deion Sanders used to do. He will trail that receiver by two or three yards, watch him, and let that quarterback think, oh, he's got him beat. And the moment that ball's in the air, he hits the Jets, makes the play on the ball. He will bait you into throwing his way. I can't wait to see where this kid goes. Love to see him in Miami at 11. Don't think he's going to make it there. You know, what else can I say? A 4-3-2 speed, 16 reps at 225 on the bench press, 39-inch vertical jump on this guy, just under 7 on the scouts rating. So possibility of Pro Bowl player, definite NFL starter. But, again, look at what Ohio State's put out in the draft the last few years at corner. Look at Marshawn Lattimore last year. I'm going to ignore the big apple pick. Everybody has a bad apple, and apparently New York Giants got that one two years ago. But <laughs> look at some of the guys. Look at some of the, You've said it yourself. I'm just, I'm just saying what you've said. But uh, this kid can play. Ohio State's put some guys in the NFL that have been strong at that position. I think he's going to be another. The last guy I want to talk about, that mid-round sleeper guy, that uh, not a lot of teams are, are talking about or a lot of, you know, these draft experts are talking about. Kid from Clemson, championship pedigree, Dorian O'Donnell, linebacker, he's six foot one, 215 pounds, uh, four six in the 40, 21 reps on the bench press. Uh, one of the things I like about him is he's running, he has a 6.64 in the three-cone drill. If anyone who's a, a combine Nick knows six foot four for a linebacker, and that drill is insane. Think Deion Jones, Telvin Smith with this guy. It's the kind of comparison I see for him. The guy is a core special teamer as well. You want to be a good player in the NFL, you go out there and you stand out on special teams, ask Terrell Davis. How do you think he got noticed and got a chance to play in the NFL? You go sell on special teams, you're going to get out there and get a chance. Uh, just a smart kid, a four-year starter, senior, the leader. He's a hitter. I like to watch this guy hit. He wraps up, but he lets you know he's there. He also creates turnovers. One of my other favorite stats about this kid, two interceptions last year, took both of them back to the house uh, for, for touchdowns. Five passes defended, five sacks. The kid does it all. Somebody's going to get a steal in probably the fourth or fifth round with this guy, Dorian O'Donnell. Nice. O'Daniel, excuse me. But yeah, that, that's that's you know that's what I'm looking at with some of these guys, Jester. There's some serious talent in this draft, and I can't wait to see where it ends up. Uh, it is, and you know, one of the things that I was saying earlier, um, I was talking to somebody. I'm trying to think of who, but um, you know, for so many teams, this is a make. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Uh, I don't know if they want to know. Um, anyway, the make or bake draft you, you hear that so many times but for there for mrs jester's team 
Is there a better team that this is a make-or-break draft for their playoff window? This team could become a juggernaut with that defense if they have a proper draft or they can completely blow their blow their playoff window in my eyes. Jester, it's, it's I got I got to jump in on that. It's funny you say that. Jacksonville's the one team that I look at this draft and say they're playing with house money. They really don't need anything. They're a young team. They've got good receivers. I mean, they could probably use a little offensive line help every team in the NFL could. But I think across the board, they can draft guys that they don't need to be stars right now and extend that window by doing so. I think the Jaguars and Tom Coughlin have got themselves set up in a prime position, and I think this draft is just going to add to that uh, add to that window. It, uh, it, it really, like I said, that, that, that was my argument is if they, I mean, if Jacksonville hits this draft nicely, you could be talking about a dynasty there with that kind of right. defense. Uh, they they become a scary team. They go from the uh, league's joke to uh, a very scary team. And uh, for you folks out there that are in the Jacksonville area, uh, congratulations for those who wanted the dog park inside. Uh, we now have a swimming pool at the stadium and a dog park. My guess is that won't work out real well. It sounds like a great idea when you first think of it. But then you imagine everybody going, who's going to bring the baddest pit bull with them? And it's going to be a pit bull arena by the time we're done. So I, I, I'm i a little afraid. I want to see how that one plays out. Um, it Pace could be really – that dog park. If, if you could – well, listen, it, it's one of two things. Either it's going to be fantastic or it's going to go to the dogs. Mm. <laughs> Uh, Tate, you had mentioned Darnold. Do you want him for your team? If you have the opportunity, do you want him for your team? I question. I mean, I gave you the big old list of uh, former um, USC quarterbacks, and Mm -hmm. I included on that list a guy by the name of Rob Johnson, former Buffalo Bill quarterback. Um, I personally, I'm not sold on USC quarterbacks. Uh, maybe it's just me. I do think Darnold will be a good quarterback wherever he ends up. I just, I don't know that I'm sold on him for Buffalo. Uh, I'll tell you straight up. I'm, I'm actually hoping for Buffalo. We either get uh, Lamar Jackson or uh, Baker Mayfield is the two that I'm kind of hoping for, for my team. And that was just what I was going to ask you. How did you feel uh, just real quick uh, about the uh, the whole Tyrod Taylor deal and him leaving. Did you think he had a future? A future in Buffalo? No. Uh, I'll tell you the same thing I've told JT, and and I've probably mentioned to you off the air before and such. My feeling on Tyrod Taylor from day one in Buffalo is, okay, he's he's a good quarterback. He's somebody to get us through. He's the next Mark Fitzpatrick on our list of Buffalo quarterbacks after Jim Kelly. Uh, he's not, I didn't see him as being a franchise quarterback in Buffalo. He just, he's a, another guy until we can find that next big name, the next Jim Kelly, so to speak. And hopefully we find that this year, 
but uh, we'll see what happens. But I do think uh, he Taylor's a good quarterback. He's got the possibility of doing something somewhere. I just don't think Buffalo was the place, and the writing was pretty much on the wall last year in the one game where they, they decided to bench him in favor of Nathan Peterman, Mr. Interception. So. You had mentioned uh, when you were giving your Calvin Ridley report, you had mentioned that you, you see him going to Dallas now with the opening of Dez, and you weren't too thrilled about that. Why? Um, I, I kind of also am hoping that he's somebody that the Bills are targeting. I've heard rumors of the Bills targeting him as well, and uh, not with their higher pick. Uh, but if they don't do something where they trade both of their first round picks to move up higher to get a different quarterback than the, what they would do at number 12, there's uh, the word that uh, Ridley might possibly fall a little lower and pass the Cowboys and the Bills may have an opportunity at him at uh, number 22. So uh, there's that potential as well as a Bills fan. I'd like, I wouldn't mind seeing him on our team. Uh, we have a, a need at that position. So, And is that how you want your draft? I mean, is that pretty much what you want? Do you want them to stay where they are and go quarterback, wide receiver? Is that what you'd like your team to do? Um, honestly, I I would not mind at all if the Bills were to make the big splash and make the move to move up to what there's been rumblings of the Giants having a, a quote-unquote framework of a deal in place with Buffalo for Buffalo to move up to number two to take the quarterback of their choice after whoever Cleveland takes. I've heard the talk of uh, the, even that possibility of moving up to number one with the Browns swapping down with the Browns having number four of uh, that possibility of them moving up that high. Uh, my only concern with something like that is seeing what the Jets paid the Colts to move up three slots I don't want to see my team pay that uh, King's yeah. ransom that yeah, the Colts ridiculous. got to move up that high. That's insane. But if they can do it for a reasonable price, then yeah, absolutely move up, make that splash pick with the higher, higher choice of quarterback rather than sitting where they're at. Interesting. Good. Good stuff. Let me ask you, uh, let me get uh, JT back in here too, because uh, he was going ahead. He started giving his uh, Barkley and, you know, everybody knows, yes, that's who I would like, and uh, I don't see it. I just have this I have this nightmare feeling that my team's going to completely blow this draft, and uh, I'm just sitting there going, please don't, please don't, please don't. We don't need a quarterback. We have uh, a quarterback on the roster that could be the future, in my opinion, and several people in the Giants organization still do feel that way, but if we get Barkley and JT, you compared him to Marshall uh-huh. and said that the comparisons are to Marshall. Let me ask you something for those people out there looking at Geist though, how much of a fall off is there? Is it really that much of a difference for those people? Well, I think a lot of people take what well, was like last year, Leonard Fournette. Oh, well, can he catch the football? We really didn't see any of that in college. Well, the same questions were out there a few years ago when Spencer Ware came out. Well, can Spencer mm-hmm. Ware catch the football? We, we, LSU just doesn't throw the football to their running backs and their offense. 
so we don't really know. Uh, we really don't know what guys can do out of the backfield. I think today to be a complete running back in the NFL, you can't be the Adrian Peterson where you're just a thumper. You need to be a guy that can run the wheel route or get out in the passing game uh, and be effective that way. So I really think that Geis, when I look at Geis, and I'm going to go back to the 90s again, kind of reminds me of a running back that was uh, played for San Diego out of North Carolina in Natron Means, kind of a bowling mm-hmm. ball. Uh, just, you know, you give him the ball, and to me he just seems like more of a two-down back. Now, Fournette did as well. He showed the ability to catch the football, uh, but I just – I think that actually when you talk about a guy like Geis on my board, I actually have him as the third running back that should come off the board. That don't mean that's how it's going to happen. That's just how I have it. Who do you have second? Chubb? I think Sony Michelle. I look at Sony Michelle and see a thicker, more physical version of Jamal Charles when I watch his game. I see a guy that can be just as dominant – Think Alvin Kamara if we want to go a little bit more recent. I think I see a little bit more of an Alvin Kamara, Jamal Charles type there, and I think the way today's offenses are set up in the NFL, I think that would be a better pick than questions on Geis as far as the passing game goes. Well, I I happen to like uh, Sony a lot, so – you're talking to the wrong person. How did you come up with you, – you said the landing spot of Denver at five. How did you come up with that? Well, you look at Denver trying to trade C.J. Anderson for everything short of a half-eaten piece of pizza, and not one team in the NFL wanted to bite on that. <laughs> so, basically, they gave him his walking papers, went unclaimed on waivers. And, folks, it's not because of that contract. $4.4 million is the pittance for a guy that went over 1,000 yards again last year. I just don't think he fits in a lot of different systems. Right now you've got a guy, Devontae Booker, that was a mid-round draft pick a couple years ago, who they like, but I think he's better set to be that third down, change of pace type of running back. Denver needs to get something, uh, some kind of a running game going. They signed Case Keenum in the offseason. If Keenum plays anything like he did last year, I think they have their quarterback for a little while. And uh, from everything I've read, Elway is intrigued and interested at the dynamic that a guy like Barkley would bring to their offense. Interesting. I think Cleveland's looking – Cleveland's got to replace Joe Hayden. A lot of people seem to forget about that. Cleveland needs help at defensive back. So I Mm -hmm. see a guy like Denzel Ward going four, maybe Derwin James at that point going four. Uh, You know, at three, well, the Jets moved up to get a quarterback, let's be honest. Yeah. As I told you before, uh, I agree with the illustrious Peter King that I think Quentin Nelson should be the pick at two. I think the Giants need to get that. I hate to say this again. I'm going to compliment another team I can't stand. Do what the Cowboys did four or five years ago. You don't make the sexy pick. You go out and you get Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Lyle Collins. You go get those big hosses on that line. Fix it inside out. I think the Giants need to fix their line fix it inside out. They've still got the quarterback, as you mentioned, Sterling Shepard, Odell Beckham, Evan Ingram. And we still don't know what Paul Perkins is. Is it Paul Perkins is the problem? Is Gallman the problem? Or is it the fact that they had no one that could block for him up in front, no holes to run through? So, for me, you know, I'm going Quentin Nelson, and I think Sam Darnold goes first. Can I jump in there real quick? You're talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, 
talking about offensive line help there, I think it makes sense as well for uh, the Browns to take that quarterback one and then at number four, take that big offensive lineman to help protect him for the long term. Joe Thomas just retired, I believe. Mm -hmm. It's a big gap right there. That's another thing I wanted to mention with my Bills as well. You know, we've lost two of our big offensive linemen that we're helping bust holes open for Shady up there in Buffalo with our run game and such as well. If we're going to go take a quarterback, we need to protect him. Eric Wood had the forced retirement and uh, our, our center and uh, Richie Uncognito retired the other day. So, uh, you know, didn't he unretire though? He, he said he was unretiring and then he retired. So I, I don't know everything <laughs> I'm hearing. He's not playing anymore. Tired. So <laughs> where's Jonathan but, Martin when you need him <laughs> in jail. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Guys, that's good stuff. That is real good stuff. No, listen, I take a look at some of these things and some of these players, and I'm watching so much, and my head hurts from watching these guys. But there are names that just are not being talked about. And I want to just go through a couple of the names real quick, and then I want to land on one that I really – I don't know why. I always get that one guy in the draft that – he's going to be gone in like the fourth, fifth round. And I'm sitting there going, if somebody's going to come out of those rounds and shine, there's that guy. And I'm going to give them to you in a minute. You know, some of the guys that are catching my eyes, so defensive end, Rasheem green, if he, if, if he can hit the weights a little bit more, I think he has the potential to be a really good one, but he's a little light in the ass, if you will. Um, DJ Moore top receiver, somebody that I, I want to see what happens with him. Alex Kappa at the offensive tackle. So, you know, senior bowl really helped this kid. You know, when you come out of Humboldt State, it's kind of hard to get attention. So the senior bowl helped. You know, he shows great strength. He moves well. Uh, you know, I like those big offensive tackle guys that can move, okay? You got to have those feet out there, and he does. He moves real well, shows good strength, and again, small college kind of guy, kind of guys that I like to root for. Another offensive tackle guy really could be this year's Javon Hargrave of the Pittsburgh Steelers I'm looking at is Nathan Shepard, another guy, one of those players – could play inside, could play out, could play both. He's just a solid line pick. Um, but most of all, uh, again, I look at that fourth, fifth round. That's where that's where your guys, your scouts and everything are really doing their homework. And in this case, my, my guy I'm looking at, he comes out of the University of Minnesota. Not a, really a small school, but, you know, not SEC, big name and all that. Um, Ivy Leaguer. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, Minnesota comp, uh, the player comp on this was a Minnesota player. I'm sorry, Eric Decker. This guy that I'm talking about, he's out of the Ivy League. He played for Penn, the Penn Quakers. Nobody hears of these players. He's six foot three, two twenty five. His name's Justin Watson. Yeah, I'll give his name. I'm not going to keep it hidden like I did last week uh, week with the uh, baseball, but Justin Watson, <laughs> wide receiver. Yeah, I'll actually give his name this week. Um, six foot three, two twenty-five. The only reason why you don't know him is because he plays for the Ivy League, and all he he's got to show, you know, work on his a uh, little bit of quickness uh, and show that he can do this against better competition. 
uh, for defensive backs. But 6'3 is 6'3, folks. Uh, 225 is 225. It doesn't matter where you're standing. You can play Ivy League, uh, Pee Wee League. It doesn't matter. You're 6'3, you're 225. But here's the best thing. If you have hands, you have hands. You know, you talk about some of the guys that are going to go in the first round and their numbers. This kid here has had 70 in three years. The first year he played in limited action, 74 catches, 89 catches, 81 catches. He's had 1,082 yards, 1,115 yards, and 1,083 yards for a three-year total of 3,280, almost 1,100 a, a year. He's had 9, 8, and 14 touchdowns, so he's had 31 touchdowns, 10 touchdowns a year average. This is a guy that nobody will talk about. You'll find him in the fourth round. Let's see where he ends up, and let's see what quarterback he gets to work with, somebody to pay attention to. Jester, Guys, Jester, I yeah. got a question for you real quick. Quick question. Yeah. Ronald Jones, running back USC, what round do you have yeah. him going in? Uh, you know, I got to be honest with you. When you take a look at somebody like that, one of the things that I do like about him is you got to understand he's a, he's a playmaker. I, I just like mm-hmm. those playmakers. What round, uh, you know, one of the things that's going to be difficult to judge is even though he's a playmaker, you know, he's short on speed. He's short on speed. So, you know, um, I'm hearing that the Niners are looking out at him. I've heard that the Patriots are looking at him. So, um uh-huh. Honestly, I, I don't have a round for him because I don't know how people are going to take it. Do you go for the playmaker or are you, or, or you hurt by the speed? This is a guy that when you see players in the draft and sometimes they just fall out of nowhere, this guy's a fall right. out of nowhere candidate. Fall out of nowhere. I'm not saying so, he's Emmitt Smith, but remember, Emmitt Smith was pretty slow. He did fairly well in the NFL. All right. All right. Well, there's a name for you, everybody out there to remember, too. Guys – Absolutely great. Tate, thanks so much. Great job as always. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to uh, be here and hope and uh, give my input. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, Tate. JT, man, three years, man. We're on year three. Three years. Many more to go. As always, great job. Thanks so much. Everybody, I have to say thanks, obviously. Three-year anniversary show, Fantasy Jester Show, FantasyJesterSports.com, Blog Talk Radio, and all those other places. I want to thank everybody in my life that's made this possible. We're going to get to that promo, yes. I know people are shaking their heads. The promo, the promo. We got the outro that we've got. for, and We'll play it. Don't worry. I'm not going to forget, okay? But I do have to thank everybody. Obviously, I want to thank my parents, my brother, my son, who motivates the hell out of me, my wife with unbelievable support, JT, the best damn co-host out there. I owe a lot of my gratitude to him and his work and his knowledge. Tate Tate coming on as he does, does a fantastic job. The writers over at the over at fantasyjusticesports.com. Fantastic job. Thanks. I wrap my life in sports because of all you. I am so grateful. Thank you all. God bless. Jester out.
That's right. That crop report next week, we're going to give one of the biggest names we've given all year. Hi, this is Bob Tewksbury, former Major League pitcher and author of 90% Mental, and you've been listening to Jester Fantasy, or Fantasy Jester, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. You could could use that. Can I? I might. It's all right with you. No, I think it'd be funny.